Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Today, I want to talk to you about poison minds. Poison minds. Has your mind ever been poisoned against something? There's something that someone that was close to you wanted you to stay away from. Get out of there. Don't be around that. Maybe as you're growing up, you were around certain people at your school or whatever, and your parents said, listen, stay away from those guys. Stay away from them. Uh, don't, be, don't put yourself in the, in the place to be, wit- to be influenced by them. You know, sometimes we get poisoned as well as adults against places or against things. And I remember, maybe like you, before I came to Florida, I was kind of poisoned against the city of Miami. You know, Miami is like, some people don't even think it's in Florida. You know, they're like, oh, well, down there in Miami, that's a different world. And I remember living in other parts of the country and feeling like, oh, man, nothing good ever happens in Miami except for the Jackie Gleason show, right? Now, how many remember the Jackie Gleason show? And yeah, we saw Miami Vice, and we we're like, man, it just seems like it's just constant fear, and bad things are happening, and back in the 80s, there were the riots, and all kinds of things were going on, you're like, oh man, I, Miami's terrible, it's scary, it's decadent. And I remember when we got transferred to West Palm Beach, and I found out that I would be training in Miami. I'm just a sweet old boy from the Midwest, you know? It's a little different down there. And I remember going down there and being training and go, man, I'm just, this is so uncomfortable. And then starting to learn and starting to experience some of the culture. And over time, and over a lot of events like baseball games, Miami Heat games, dinner in Little Havana. Hmm. I just lost my train of thought after thinking about that. Think we could make it down there today, babe? I think, I think that sounds like, a, sounds like a plan. You know, go and get some Cuban coffee, Cuban sandwiches. Uh, going to South Beach and just watching people. I mean, that's like a whole occupation if you've never done that. Uh, just be ready to be shocked and watch out for the people with the snakes around their necks and stuff like that. Um, the people who dress somewhat inappropriately. However, over time, and by taking some risk or being uncomfortable, you start to appreciate Miami. And you start to have some experiences with people, and you start to realize there's something really amazing about this city. Yeah, it's decadent, it's sinful, but it is an amazing place. And there are some very godly people there. I have some dear followers of Jesus, dear friends that are a part of the culture. They have planted churches down there. They're leading ministries down there. I'm so grateful for Miami. I, I love Miami. I'm not crazy about the traffic, but we're a little spoiled here in Delray because it's not too bad. But um, time, taking a little risk, and having some real life experiences and encounters has changed my mind and removed the effect of the poison of the years that I heard about Miami. Today, I want to talk to you about how that can happen spiritually as well. We're in Acts. And if you're new to us, we walk through major sections of Scripture to understand what God is saying to us. And 
We've been in Acts for a while. We're in chapter 14, but let me just recap a little bit about where we've been. The gospel has started to spread around the Mediterranean, around the known world. It's exciting, and there's a church in Antioch of Syria, which is uh, the first church to really reach people who were not of Jewish descent. They reach the Gentiles. It's exciting. Barnabas and Paul are a part of this, and things are going great, and they, they come together, and they say, you know what? I know that it's not just about us. I love that. I hope we always realize that it's not just about us. We need to think about what's next, and we, we're going to fast and pray, and in, in that process, God says to all of them, listen, it's time for you to send out two of your very best. It's time for you to send out Paul and Barnabas in chapter 14, uh, 13, verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Paul and Barnabas were sent by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit went with them. You see, we're all on mission like that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been sent out by the Holy Spirit. You've been sent out into your workplace, into your school, into your family, into your neighborhood, into your adventures, into your travel. They're going with the Holy Spirit, propelling them forward. And we need to see our lives that way. It's not just a vacation. It's a journey to go see what God's going to do, right? It's not just a job. It's a place of influence where you can demonstrate who Jesus is. It's not just a family. It's a place where you can raise up disciples and have influence. So Paul and Barnabas set out, and they head down to Cyprus, and then they come back up to Antioch of Pisidia, which is what uh, Jimmy preached on last week. And uh, now they're headed down the road called the Sebastian, or the Sebastian Way, which is the royal road, which leads back to Antioch of Syria eventually. And they come to this place called Iconium. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says this. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So they go into the synagogue. The synagogue is the place of Jewish worship. It's where the, the scriptures would be read. There would be prayers. And then they would also have a commentary about something, usually about the scripture that was read. And so they, they go into the synagogue to see if they can reach the Jews first, or at least those with some understanding of who God is, because Paul says, I don't want to bypass them. I don't want to eliminate the fact that they may respond to the gospel, even though the Jews of the day were typically very much holding on to the old ways and rejecting Jesus. So they went to the synagogue, and it's interesting that Luke writes that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Praise the Lord. And that means that Jews and Greeks, it's interesting the Greeks are there because they're Gentiles, they're in the Jewish synagogue, which probably means that God has been drawing them to himself through the only witness of him in the area, which is a synagogue that doesn't tell the whole story, but it tells some of it. And so when Paul and Barnabas come and speak in the synagogue, the Jews because that's the rest of the story, because Jesus is the rest of the story, right? The, the Old Testament just sets up the New Testament. It lays the foundation, helps us understand why Jesus is necessary, so they come in and they preach the good news of Jesus in the Jewish synagogue. And many Jews and many Greeks respond. And they believe. 
And remember, when we say the word believe, we mean that they trusted him. They began to trust Jesus as the cure for their sins instead of their own ability to keep the law. They believe Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Verse 2, but, not everybody believed, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, meaning against Paul and Barnabas. So the unbelieving Jews, they said, wait a minute, these people are starting to believe. They're starting to believe in this Jesus. We got to stop this. And so they, they stirred them up and they poisoned them. And those are the, the two verbs there, which is kind of interesting if you're a snake expert. You know that if you get bit by a viper, a poisonous snake, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to take a knife and cut two X's in the two ends. No, don't do that. That's what they did in the Westerns. Not a good idea. Um, what you're supposed to do is try to remain calm, which is ridiculous, right? I just get bit by a snake. I'm going to die. Uh, but you're supposed to be calm, and you're not supposed to run around. You're supposed to move very slowly, get to the hospital, because the more you move, the more excited you get, the more your blood starts to pump, the more your heart pumps faster, and the venom spreads everywhere. It's kind of a nice picture of what's happening here. They get them all stirred up and they inject venom. And so that venom, that poison that they have against Paul and Barnabas begins to spread throughout the community. They poison their minds. That sounds a little bit about the, like the Matthew 13 story of the sower and the seed, right? Remember, sower goes out, sows seed. Some of it lands on the sidewalk virtually and the birds come and snatch it up so it can never take root. Sounds a little bit like that. They're saying, we got to stop this movement from happening. We're going to poison their minds against Paul and Barnabas. And it's interesting that the way that language, it sounds like they're not so much trying to just philosophically debate the issues as they are. We got to stop these people. It's very personal the way it's said. They're, they're going to stop Paul and Barnabas. They're speaking against what they're saying. Kind of like in the breaking maybe the one of the most important rules of selling you've ever been in sales training, you know you're not really supposed to talk about the competition's product and run that down. You're supposed to talk about how great your product is, right? Because you don't want to talk about the customer's, the, the competition's product, right? Because that takes up time from saying how great your product is. And also, your customer may already be using your competition's product, and they've already made a decision to spend money on that, and if you tell them how bad that product is, you're telling them what? You're an idiot. You're stupid. You don't want to do that when you're selling unless you're desperate. So it kind of speaks to the desperation the Jews were feeling. And you say, well, why in the world would they be desperate? They're kind of established. Why do they feel desperate? The reason they feel desperate is they feel under attack. And they're under attack for very good reason. They feel that way because this message of Jesus does two things that is just very hard for them to receive. And I would argue very hard for us to receive in our culture. The first thing they're saying is, listen, you need to follow Jesus you need him to forgive you of your sin, 
Because nothing that you do, no good deed that you do is ever going to matter after your heart stops beating. That's the message of Jesus, right? We can't earn it. The law is not going to get you to heaven. The law is not going to forgive you for sin. It's only going to point out your sin. But wait a minute, I've done a lot of good stuff. I've helped people. I've given a lot of money to help people. I've helped poor people. I've done a lot of good things. I've even served my country. I've, I've risked my life for my country, and thank you for doing that. But understand that that, that does matter during our lives, right? It's a good way to, I mean, you, you do need to do good things. It's going to help you during your life. It, it may help you make friends. It, it helps you have honor. But in the end, once your heart stops beating, all that stuff doesn't matter if you've done it on your own. Can you receive that? All of your good reputation, all of your upstanding citizenship, doesn't really matter once you die. It only matters on earth. See, that's really offensive to good people. It's really offensive to those who've done good. So the first thing that, that they're offended by is that you're not giving me credit for my goodness. And one of the reasons is, you know, I'm so much better than other people, right? But the second thing that's super offensive is if Jesus' message is true, then all of their ancestry and everything that they've identified with has been wrong. Right? This whole idea that we're going to live by the law, live by faith, li I mean, li not live by faith, but live on what we can do, or live by, or be, be blessed and be saved because we're the children of Abraham. Remember, Jesus said, I can raise up these stones. I can raise children of Israel, children of Abraham from these stones. It's not about who your ancestors are. It's about whether you follow Jesus. But when you tell people that all their ancestry and their background isn't going to save them, it's very offensive. It's very hard to receive. And sometimes we're really hard on these people, but I can understand that. Imagine if someone said to you, you know what, going to church and doing all the good things you've done, Steve, and even your theological degrees, they don't matter at all. You know, they don't matter at all in terms of my salvation, do they? It's only what Jesus has done for me that matters. But the Jews, and I would argue a lot of people in our age, want to poison our minds to say that's not enough. Jesus is not enough. We have to add to it. You need to add your goodness to that. Add your effort to that. No, Jesus is good enough. So they poisoned their minds against the brothers. And it's interesting what the disciples do in response. Verse, four, verse 3. The disciples, it says... So they remain for a long time. Let me just pause there. When you face opposition, when you're thinking that people are against you, when they're trying to poison the mind of everyone around you, I love what their response is. So they remain for a long time. This is going to take a while. Do you know that nearly everyone I know 
that's come to Jesus, that's received the gift of salvation, it's taken a while. Yeah, there's that moment, there's that time when they, they recognize and they respond to the invitation of the Holy Spirit. But man, if you talk to them, it's been going on a while. God's been using people and events and all kinds of stuff in their lives to get them to the place where they're like, hey, I, I got to receive Jesus. I, I have to. It's usually a journey. There are a few, a few that would say they heard the message and bam, first time they heard it, they received it and were saved. But so many times it takes a while. That's why we're here as a church for the long term. And I want you to know, if you have questions and you say, you know what? I just am not there yet. I'm going to walk with you. We're going to walk with you as a church, and we're going to watch Jesus and trust Jesus to lead you because we don't want to convince you of something that the Holy Spirit's not doing in your life. Oh, but if he's at work in your life, we want to, we want to close the deal, quite honestly. They said, we're going to be here for a while, which incidentally, big picture, the church in general began at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and it's still going over 2,000 years later. We're in it for the long haul. They said, we're going to be here a while. So they remained for a long time. And what did they do? They were speaking boldly for the Lord. Speaking boldly for the Lord. And that word Lord usually refers to Jesus. And it's saying, they're speaking boldly the message of Jesus. Which is simply this. Guys, the law identifies your sin that Jesus died for. And because of that, you can be innocent. Yeah, the law matters because it points out your sin, but it, it's nothing you can, you can, you can uh, complete on your own. The issue is Jesus wants to take that away. He can clean you up. Jesus died for you. He, he paid the fine that you owe because of your sin, and they just did that, no doubt, over and over again. And connecting that to the Old Testament, likely to the Old Testament a sacrificial system that said, you know, it takes blood must be shed in order for sin to be atoned for. And Jesus is the ultimate of everything you've looked forward to, to the Jews and the Gentiles saying, listen, you can be clean. You don't have to keep working on your sin. You just need to repent of your sin. They proclaimed it boldly, clearly, for a long time. But along with that, they're speaking boldly for the Lord, and get this, who bore witness to the world of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Here's what's happening. God's servants are proclaiming the word, but his spirit's at work in their hearts. They're hearing it from the outside, but God's spirit's at work on the inside. You see, you don't just affirm the facts about Jesus. You respond to an internal invitation by the spirit of Jesus. God is at work. No one really comes to Christ on their own. It's through the proclamation of the message and the work of the Spirit in their heart. There is something that has to happen in here. Something has to happen. Maybe it's just that still, small voice that says to you this morning, I want you to be mine. I have a gift I want to give you. I want my Spirit to live in you. You need to repent. It's that still, small voice. They're proclaiming, and the Spirit is coming alongside, doing His part as we do ours. It's an incredible picture of the work of God.
But there's an end to the opportunity, isn't there? Just as the church age will one day come to a close, there's an end to the opportunity here at Iconium. As the disciples, the Paul and Barnabas have taken the risk. They've hung in there. There's opposition. It's getting more and more heated. Things are getting out of control. And then we find out in verse 4, the time is over. Verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia and to the surrounding country, and there they continue to preach the gospel. See, there's an end. Sometimes there's an end with people you're trying to reach, and you know that your time is over. There's no more fruit to be gained. You may say, well, you know, why didn't, why didn't Paul and Barnabas face the music and be executed just like Jesus? I mean, wouldn't that have been more glorious? You know, it's always important to realize there's only one Jesus, right? There's only one Jesus. His death is the only death that can atone for sin. Your death cannot atone for sin. It may be necessary, right? Paul will one day be executed, as were probably 11 of the disciples. But at this point, they're thinking kingdom-minded, right? What is best for the kingdom? We've done everything we can do here. Our deaths here are not going to add to the kingdom, it's time to move on. It's time to move down the road 20 to 90 miles and see what who else we can reach. That happens in lives all the time. Like, listen, I had my opportunity. I did everything I could. After a long time, I realized I needed to move on because I wasn't making any more progress. They move on down the road, and what happens? They have an incredible fruitful ministry. You know the rest of the story. Paul reaches many, many other cities and two more missionary journeys, and oh, by the way, writes about half of the New Testament. So when we think kingdom-minded, it helps us understand how long to stay in one place, how long to focus on one relationship, and knowing that the time, the opportunity, will indeed end. So always remember, sometimes it feels like I have an opportunity to respond to Jesus forever. But that time is going to end. There'll be a time when you'll no longer be able to respond to Jesus. The Bible's very clear about that. Jesus is long-suffering. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but there will be a time when you'll no longer have the opportunity to respond. And I would say this, that biblically we see over and over again, the longer you wait, the less likely it is you will respond. Every time you say no, it becomes more unlikely that you'll ever say yes. So let me ask you, what about you? Has your mind been poisoned? So you know, Steve, I'm here, I love Jesus. I'm in church on Sunday morning in South Florida when there's all kinds of good stuff to do. Of course my mind hasn't been poisoned, but let me just ask you. Do you get really upset when you don't get the honor, when people don't make you feel as good as you think they should? 
See, one of the challenges in church life, for those of us who have been a part of it for a long time, sometimes we start to come here and feel good because people say, oh, you did a great job, you know, thank you for serving, that was amazing. And you walk away feeling really good because people valued what you did. Is that what it's all about? Certainly we should compliment one another. Certainly we should build each other up. But in my heart of hearts, in the depth of my being, my sense of well-being comes to the fact that Jesus paid for my ugly sin. He paid for every time that I broke his law and broke his heart. Every time that I wasn't loving him with everything that I am. Every time that I didn't love others as myself and want for them what I have. Every time. Jesus paid the price for that. Jesus took that away. See, as church people, sometimes we forget how valuable that actually is. The fact that Jesus paid for it. And we get so anxious and so worried and so angry over stuff that happens in our lives. And we can forget that Jesus did the most amazing thing I ever need done. He paid for my sin. He paid for your sin. Say, well, Steve, how do I deal with that? And I think when we think about how do I deal with a poisoned mind, because it, it leaks in. It does. It leaks in from culture, because that's what culture is all about. It's all about meeting a standard that culture puts out there. It's all about feeling good about yourself because you think like everyone else. We start to feel like we should think like everyone else, but we have something not everyone else has. We have our sin forgiven. So three, three things. See, so if you're going to deal with a poisoned mind and let Jesus heal your poisoned mind, it may take some time. It may take some time. The disciples spent some extra time in Iconium combating the poison. Take some time to say, God, I want you to use some time. I want to sit before you. I want to remember what you've done. And I may need to do that for a while on a regular basis before I can really remove the poison from my mind. It may take some time. Second, it means accepting some risk, some risk. Paul and Barnabas accepted the risk that they were going to kill him. For those of us who want to remove the poison from our mind, there's some risk in that to say, I'm probably going to have to get a little more humble. I may even look silly. I'm going to have to recognize that it's Jesus who saved me, not myself. I'm going to risk feeling a little uncomfortable. Third, it's going to take some real live experiences and encounters. I'm going to have to expose myself to more of who Jesus is. I'm going to have to hear his word proclaimed. I'm going to need to be a part of a small group. I'm going to need to listen and read the word of God. I'm going to have to have some real-life encounters with people and with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to need to have him remind me the only reason I'm of any value at all is because Jesus paid for my sin. 
Now, some of you have probably never, never actually received that gift of salvation. You enjoy coming. Maybe you enjoy church people. Enjoy the vibe. But have you ever been forgiven? Wouldn't it be amazing for you to no longer have to try to make up for your sins? No longer to try to overcome it, to try to hide it, to try to keep people from seeing the fact that you do have sin in your life. Wouldn't it be so much better to know that Jesus has forgiven you and to live to bring him glory rather than yourself? It's the Spirit speaking to your heart of hearts. It's that still, small voice saying, repent. Be grateful for what Jesus did. Stop trying to act like you never had sin. Stop relying on other people to make you feel good about yourself. Or maybe he's saying, receive this gift of salvation that I died to give you. Maybe today is your day. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.